Well, good morning, Chapel family. I hope that your heart is filled with joy this morning. I encourage you to take your Bibles open to the Gospel of John in chapter 8. While we're lighthearted, I'll just kind of keep going a little bit. Uh, I wonder, how many lawyers does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is, how many can you afford? <laughs> Somebody asked the question, how many consultants does it take to change a light bulb? No one knows the answer because they've never made it past a feasibility study. Somebody asked, how many Teamsters does it take to change a light bulb? Twelve. So what, you got a problem with that? <laughs> and... uh then somebody asked, do you know how many musicians it takes to change a light bulb? No, but if you can hum a few bars, Rob can probably fake it. <laughs> and I'll stop there because there's an old Chinese proverb that says, man who tell too many light bulb jokes get burned out. <laughs> Truth is, we really don't care how many people it takes to change a light bulb. We just want the thing fixed because it's difficult and dangerous to walk around in the dark. We're in John chapter 8, and as we sang about and as we see here, the subject is light and darkness. One of the most well-known of Jesus' statements, we're in a series looking at the I Am statements of Jesus Christ. Jesus describing Himself in His own words. Here in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus describes Himself. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Simple, short, but a very bold and a very powerful statement from Jesus. Actually, the more that I've read it, mulled over it, taken it apart, looked at it, over the course of the last few weeks, the more I realize that I really don't think it's possible to overstate just how big a claim this is from Jesus. One thing that you might notice as you look at this is you might notice that Jesus as He makes this claim that I am the light, He makes an exclusive claim. He doesn't claim to be a light, like some teacher might be able to say, some guru, some, some wise person, I am a light. He doesn't claim to be a spiritual light of wisdom or insight. Rather, He claims to be the light. There is no other light. Nor does He claim to be just the light of Israel. Not just the spiritual light of a region or of a people or of a nation. Rather, He claims to be the sole singular light of the entire world. That's huge. We really don't get it as we look at this, read this little verse. We don't get it, but Jesus is making here a claim to be Messiah. 
See, if you go back and you look through, for example, the prophet Isaiah, and most of you will know that as you read through Isaiah, there's quite a few places, chapters there, where God refers to the coming Messiah as the servant or the slave of the Lord. The Lord being Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the slave of God. The slave of the Lord. And a couple of those passages, here's one in Isaiah 42. God says this, I am the Lord, that's Yahweh, I have called you to in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. See, the Messiah has a title there. He's a light for the nations. And as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's not lost on the Jewish leaders that He is claiming to be this person. Another passage similar to that in Isaiah 49, God says, I will make you, and He's talking again of the servant of the Lord, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus says this, He's saying, I am the Messiah. But thirdly, Jesus is also claiming here to be God. Claiming to be the light is also claiming to be God. Again, if we go through and have the time to just walk through the Old Testament Scriptures, we could see again and again where light is associated with God and God is associated with light. You may, for example, you may be very familiar with Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Light is part of God's nature. First John 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all the very nature of god is described in his holiness and purity as light but it's most significant here as we are looking here in chapter 8 and verse 12 where jesus makes this statement it's helpful to look at the big picture of where he is and when he's talking if you were here last week we were in chapter 7 looking at another claim of Jesus where Jesus claimed to be the living water. And you recall that as Jesus was saying that, He was in Jerusalem and celebrating the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And we learned that as part of that, by the way, that it was one of the three feasts where People came from all over. Jews came from all over to Jerusalem. One of the three feasts that were pilgrim feasts, they were supposed to come to Jerusalem and they had a a national camp out. And it was a seven-day feast in mid-October. And as part of the... Well, let me back up the train here just a little bit. Where is Jesus? He's in Jerusalem. But if you go down a few verses from our verse, we're at chapter 8, verse 12. If you go down to verse 20, we read this. These words He, Jesus, spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple and no one arrested Him because His hour had not come. Jesus is speaking these words in the temple. And the temple, we, you remember last time we talked about, this huge place, takes up a massive area of the real estate. And 
the treasury is the area where they had these receptacles where offerings and tithes were, were given. And those receptacles were in the court of women. If you look there in the middle of that picture, we'll zoom in. And that's the court of women is that area there. And that area was often called, was called the treasury because the offerings were taken there. And so Jesus is there in this courtyard as He makes these statements. And what's significant about that is because, again, last week we were at the Feast of Booths where Jesus has, has come with all these other pilgrims to celebrate in Jerusalem and at the temple. And He's there and He was teaching last week. And if we follow the chronology, chapter 7 ends and Jesus has his final speech at that feast. It says on the last day, the great day of the feast, is when he got up and and then that ends and it's now the next day. It's the day after. And if you recall, as part of the feast, they had these great candelabras, 73 feet tall, torches, candlesticks, candelabras that they would light during the feast and they were located in the court of women. And so you can even see some representation of those there in the picture. And those torches were lit during the feast and they, they lit up this massive light that was something spectacular to folks who didn't know electric lights. They'd never seen such things. So much light at night. It made the whole temple area just blaze with light and it lit up much of Jerusalem the whole city as well. And so it's the day after the feast. Jesus is there in this courtyard of women with these torches that have been lit throughout the feast and now they stand there and they are dark. You recall, by the way, that these torches were to symbolize the presence of God with the people of Israel back during the days after the exodus from Egypt after they had left Egypt and they were now in the wilderness, that God was with the people in a visible manifestation of His presence and His glory, its pillar of cloud by day and this great pillar of fire at night. And these torches, as that whole feast was all about remembering God's provision for the people during their time in the wilderness, and those torches represented the blazing glory of God in the pillar of fire at night. And you see, now it's significant that Jesus is there the day after. And probably the best thing I could think of in my mind that might picture what it would be like is for you and me to be at the biggest, grandest, most spectacular Christmas light display that we could imagine the day after they turn the lights off. And there you are, all the displays are there, the lights are still hung, but there's no light. On. And it's in that setting that Jesus is there and I think He probably just points towards one of the torches and says, I am the light of the world. And the, the picture, the, the imagery, and I think what is inescapable probably to these folks as they are there is, is they're making this connection. The lamps are out. And Jesus is saying the lamps are out, but... I am the very presence of God and I'm still with you right now. That's why Jesus claimed here as He's saying that He is the light of the world, that He is the Messiah, that He is in fact the Creator God. It is so significant. 
we could even go on beyond this. As I said, I think it's impossible to make too much of this. Not only because He's God, He's not only spiritual light, He's the physical light. He's the source of physical light. You go back to John chapter 1 and it says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. We find out later the Word was Jesus and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And he goes on and he says that all things were made by Him and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is the one back in Genesis chapter 1 in the very beginning who said, let there be light and there was light. Jesus is the creator and the originator of physical light. By the way, if you follow your Bible all the way to the end, Isaiah chapter 60 tells about it. And the book of Revelation chapter 21 describes it, how there's a day coming when there will be no more sun, no more moon, no more physical light. The light that we will enjoy throughout all of heaven is the very light of Jesus Christ Himself. When He says, I am the light, it's... In every way that you and I can think of light, He is the essence of what real light is. But it's no wonder that this, these claims of Jesus launch a, another long debate, another long confrontation with the religious leaders. And it goes through the rest of the chapter and we're going to get to the end of it next week as we look at one more claim of Jesus. And when it's done... These religious leaders are picking up stones and they're ready to kill Jesus where He stands. These are big claims. These claims are so big, they are either the crazy talk of a lunatic or they're the diabolical lies of a satanic evil man or else He really is God. Those are the only choices we're left with with such big, bold claims. Of course, John knows who this is. And he wants us to see Jesus for who He is. And so back in chapter 1 and verse 14, John writes about Jesus and he says, and the Word, again, that's Jesus, He became flesh and He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. John is saying that just as the Israelites beheld the Shekinah blazing glory of God there in that pillar of fire, he says, we saw the glory of Jesus. We saw the glory of God in Jesus in the flesh. The glory of God was unmistakably in Him. He wants us to know that about Christ. There's something about light though, and that is that darkness and light don't get along very well. And so when there's this controversy and this debate and this heat between Jesus and between these so-called spiritual leaders, it shouldn't surprise us. Early in Jesus' ministry over in in John chapter 3, Jesus let us know that wickedness and light don't get along. Wickedness hates light. He said this, He said, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness more than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light because and they don't come into the light lest their works should be exposed. See, there's some things that just don't like light. 
Back when I was in college, I, one of my many jobs uh, over the summer was I was a part-time janitor at my home church down in Dallas. And because I was working another job, I worked the janitor job at night. And so at night you'd go, and I remember there was this back row of buildings out to the back of the property, and, and uh, they were on my list of rooms to clean. And, and you'd go and you'd open the door at night and turn on the light. And you didn't even have to look. You could hear those Texas cockroaches running for the hills. Those things make noise when they run. They're so big. Cockroaches don't like the light. Criminals don't like the light either. Law enforcement tells us, you probably have heard, best and cheapest security you can do for your property is light. Put lights around your house. Put lights on the windows and lights by the doors. And Criminals don't want to come around because They don't want to be exposed. Physical light chases away physical criminals. Likewise, spiritual light exposes spiritual sin, spiritual corruption. And Jesus says that those folks who aren't with God, those folks who are doing evil things, who have evil hearts, they hate spiritual light. They will avoid it or they will attack it. And that's why these religious leaders who have no heart for God, these religious leaders who time and time again Jesus exposes for their hypocrisy, they want Jesus dead. Because wickedness hates the light. Jesus lets us know that, by the way, that in, in when He says that here that whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. He lets us know that this world is a dark place. Because you see, it implies that if the person who walks with me won't walk in darkness, then the person who doesn't walk with me does walk in darkness. And since most people aren't following Jesus Christ, most people in this world are walking in darkness. If indeed, as Jesus claims, He is the exclusive and only light, then all the world that is apart from Him is in darkness. And that's exactly, by the way, what the Bible tells us. The world is a dark place. But that's not what the world thinks about itself. The the world system believes itself to be absolutely enlightened. An enlightened man has come to realize these days that God doesn't exist. Or if He does, He's irrelevant. That's enlightenment. We don't need God. Advancements in technology, advancements in knowledge, advancements in science, it'll solve all our problems. (laughs) I remember years ago when our kids were little taking them to Disney World and uh, going through, going to Epcot and going through that big golf ball they have. I don't know what it has these days. I haven't been there in 20 years or so. But I remember as you went through that golf ball, there were all these displays and they were all talking about the marvels and the wonders of science and advancements in science and agriculture and, and all of these things and how 
Soon there would be no hunger problem because agriculture advancements is fixing all that. And soon there will be no war. And soon there will be no this and some of that. And all, because we're solving it all. I've been waiting and it <laughs> hadn't happened yet. Matter of fact, despite a couple of centuries of stunning developments in transportation, mobility, education, communication, medicine, Despite all of these things, have you noticed our problems haven't gone away? Matter of fact, I would venture to say they've gotten worse. There is no less war, no less violence. There is no less sickness, death, suffering. And I don't think as people we're more peaceful. I don't think we're more loving. I don't think we're more satisfied. The reality is, I don't think things have changed much from the beginning of human history till today. Because the problem isn't our environment, the problem is our hearts. And it goes back to the very beginning when man first rebelled against God. And today the basic questions, the basic problems still have people wandering around in the dark wondering, same things they've been wondering from the beginning. Who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I here? What's the purpose in my life? Does anybody really care about me? What's going to happen to me when I die? And there are no good answers to those questions and the myriads of other questions apart from God. It's the only place we've ever found the answers is in the One who made us and has revealed Himself to us. And in these last days, as the Scripture says, He's revealed us in His Son, Jesus Christ Himself. So today still people walk around in darkness asking the questions that folks have always asked. And Jesus says there's an answer. There's a way to life And the answer is, follow me. There's a way out of the darkness. Follow me, the light. The thing I want us to notice about that is that's an active verb. I think one of the challenges that we have sometimes as evangelicals, and we believe the Word of God and we take it seriously and we, we believe very much that we are saved You know this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And so we say, how are we saved? Very simply, by believing in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him. That is absolutely what the Scripture says. But so we've taken that sometimes, we turn it to this. Belief in Christ is, I pray pray a little prayer. I mumble a few words. I believe in Jesus. Jesus, I receive You as my Savior. Done! And then go off and live life without giving another thought to Jesus Christ. May I say the Scripture does not call that faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, biblical faith in Jesus Christ, results in following Him. 
Going back to Jesus is here in this temple courtyard with these big torches that represent the glory of God, the, the light of God that, was, that, was, that all the people of Israel saw. But if you go back to the history with the people of Israel, what was the purpose of the light that was there? Well, it gave light at night. And the cloud gave some shade during the day. But what, was, what were they to do? Were they just supposed to sit there and look at the light and go, wow, that is really pretty. I bet they did and that was cool. And they admired the light and that was good. And they worshipped the God whose glory they saw in the light. But do you remember what the instructions were? Follow the light. When it moves, you move. When God moves, you move. And where God goes, you go. And you see, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. You see, that is really biblical faith. Biblical faith in Jesus isn't just this few words, little prayer, and I don't care. Following Jesus, if I may say, it's not an add-on to faith. It's not an optional add-on. If I feel like it, I'll follow Jesus. So I go over here and I pray and I pray a few words and I say, I believe in Jesus, my Savior, amen. And then I go off and live my life. <laughs> Following Jesus isn't an optional thing. Now some of you think, man, he's moving really close to heresy. Let me say the opposite. Following Jesus is not a required add-on for to be saved. Because, go back to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We are not saved by works. We don't, we don't believe in Jesus and then we have to add works to it to get saved. Following Jesus is not an optional thing if we feel like it, nor is it a required thing that we must do to be saved. So what is following Jesus? It's simply what real faith does. It is the natural outworking, the natural consequence of true faith. It's inconceivable to believe in Jesus and say, He's the light, and then run back to the darkness. <laughs> faith doesn't do that. Faith says, if I believe Jesus, if I trust Him, I follow Him. That's real faith. It works just like this. In two minutes, a tornado will take this room out. Now, if you believed that, you wouldn't sit here. Right? If we really believed in two minutes, a tornado is going to come take this room out. What are we going to do? We're going to run for the door. Walk orderly. Please don't trample anyone. But let's get downstairs. Let's get under some shelter. Let's. Right? If we sit here and you just listen to me drone on and on and on, you don't believe a tornado is going to hit here. Or you are really polite. <laughs> if I believed a tornado was going to hit here, I'm moving. That's faith. Faith, you see, if we really believe something, we act on what we really believe. That's all. It's really what we read earlier. We read... 1 John chapter 1, and we got down, I think it's verse 5, where it says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk, we live in the darkness, 
We lie. And we don't practice the truth. To say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and live in the darkness like unbelievers live, we're playing games and fooling somebody and probably the person we're fooling is ourselves. Real faith shows up in real life. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. There's two blessings to following Jesus. I want to end with this. There's some good news. Why do we follow Jesus? There's some great stuff. The first is, if we follow Jesus, we don't walk in darkness. We don't live in darkness. The Bible says that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. See, darkness, physical darkness, is a, can be a frightening thing. Have you ever been there in a place where you can't see your hand in front of your face? You know, that can be frightening. I vividly remember a few years ago happening to me up at Mark Twain Lake, Camp Colburn, I think it was the first year we were up there, we had a men's retreat and we were, had a men's fishing retreat weekend. And, and um, I was there and I'm, most of you know I'm a night owl. I like to stay up late and, and I don't think there's ever been a camp I've ever been to in my life where I'm not the last person to bed. And uh, I usually just like to see everybody go to bed, make sure everything's good, then I go to bed. So everybody had gone to bed like at 8 o'clock and I stayed up till you know, 1 or 2 and then uh, went and thought, I'm going to take a shower before bed. I went and the, the bathrooms weren't in the cabins. They're in this bathhouse. I go over in the bathhouse and take my shower and I come out. And while I was taking my shower, one of the men had gotten up and said, you know, we shouldn't have all these lights on. Waste electricity. Turned off every single light in camp. And it's about 40, 50 yards from the bathhouse to the cabin. And I literally am going, I can't see a thing. And the only way I'm in, I'm like, I'm going to have to spend the night here in the bathhouse. I made it by feeling with my foot, pull on my flip-flop, and I'm feeling the edge of this little pathway all the way back. It's a little asphalt path all the way back to the cabin. Just wondering when, well, what does a copperhead feel like? (laughs) Because you just know they're coming out to warm up on that nice, warm asphalt path. It can be a frightening thing to be in the dark. Spiritually, to be in the dark is a frightening thing. Many of you have been there. Many of you know friends, family who are living life in the dark. They don't really know where they're going, what they're doing. They're just going at it and just afraid at any moment everything's just going to fall apart. They're going to step on a spiritual copperhead. And they really don't know what's going to happen when they die and they're scared to death. Jesus says, you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. You're given life that has meaning and purpose. It's full. The one who follows Jesus Christ, Psalm 1 verse 3 describes the person who, who follows the Word of God, who listens to Christ, He says He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that He does, He prospers. 
That's not some sick prosperity theology stuff where we're going to drive Bentleys and Rolls Royces. And, and it's not that. What he's saying is that you're going to live a life that prospers in terms of what really values, what really matters in terms of eternity. We're going to live lives that have significance and worth and meaning. doesn't mean life is always going to be easy, but it's always going to be full. Not only will we not walk in darkness, but he says we'll have the light of life. A full life now and eternal life later. Living in physical darkness is dangerous because we can't see the trip hazards or we'll step on a copper head or that probably won't happen to most of us. But if you've got little kids, you might be walking around in a dark house and step on some sharp Lego and get a laceration on your foot and get a foot infection and have it amputated and, you know, or whatever. Uh, or, or if you are like me, I don't have little kids, but I've got a deaf dog in a dark house and a deaf dog uh, who doesn't know you're coming and both of us have almost died several times recently. Physical darkness brings physical danger. Spiritual darkness is infinitely worse because the danger there Well, Jesus describes it down in verse 21. If you were here last week, He said something almost verbatim in His teaching the day before. Here in verse 21, He says to them again. See, even John is saying, He said it again. He said it the day before. One more time. Jesus says, I'm going away. And back in chapter 7, He said, I'm going away to My Father. He says, I'm going to heaven. You're going to seek Me. And you will die in your sins. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And Jesus is saying this to the people who are there who are rejecting Him. And He's saying, I'm the light of the world. And these religious leaders are going, no, you aren't. And I think Jesus is saying this with a broken heart. In just a little while, five, five and a half months from now, Jesus is going to hang on the cross. He says, I'm going to go back to heaven. If you do not believe me, you're going to die in your sins. And you'll never be able to come where I am. You'll never be able to join me in heaven. That's the consequences of spiritual darkness. And Jesus here and in every place through the book, as I can see, He always gives an invitation. And it's an invitation. It's just one we know so well, so I'll give the one we know so well. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. 